Welcome, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of Legal Tech Week. It is December 16th, 2022. We weren't here the last week, so glad to be back this week. Uh, I'm Bob Ambrogi. I am the uh, moderator here, the author of the blog, Law Sites, and the host of the podcast, Law Next. And we got a pretty full house here today, which is a good thing. We haven't had that for a while. So uh, let's uh, go around and say hello. And uh, Victor, why don't, why don't you kick it off? Oh, hi, everyone. Uh, my name is Victor Lee. I'm a system managing editor with the ABA Journal, covering the business of law and technology. And, uh, you know, happy early holidays to everybody. Hope everyone has a good one. Thank you. And uh, Jean? Uh, I'm Gina Grady. I am the author and editor of Dewey B Strategic, and I also write a column for Legal Tech Hub. And, uh, okay, and Stephanie? Hi, I'm Stephanie Wilkins. I'm in, uh, the editor-in-chief of Legal Tech News at ALM. All right, Nikki, how about you? I am Nikki Black. I am the uh, um, SME and external education lead at my case. <laughs> I love that you still have to look up your title. It's like... <laughs> Yeah, I have to think about it. Um, and uh, I also write legal tech columns for ABA Journal, blah, 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 daily record, and elsewhere. And uh, happy to be here. And the uh, in the SNM lead at uh, Above the Law. Uh... <laughs> that perfect. Yes, that is that is actually exactly right. Uh, Joe Patrice <laughs> from Above the Law. I am the. Uh, a senior editor there. I'm at uh, also at Thinking Like a Lawyer podcast. Uh, yeah, no, uh, good to have everyone back. Uh, see everyone for the first time in a while. Yeah, and last but not least, Steve. Hey, uh, happy holidays, everyone. Steve Embry, I write the blog Tech Law Crossroads. All right. Um... Uh, all right. Well, uh, okay. I, so we've got a bunch of stuff to talk about today, but uh, I, I actually wanted to raise something that wasn't on the list, but ask a couple of you, because I think I was just trying to uh, like tweet this out earlier and it looked to me like a few of your Twitter accounts have disappeared. Uh, am I, am I making that up or, or not? Uh, Victor, I'm looking at you for one. Did you, did you get off of Twitter? Yeah, I, I, I tweeted out Elon Musk's private address and, you know, that somehow got me banned. I, I don't know why. No, um, yeah, I, I, I just I, I decided to get off it. Um, I've been thinking about it for a while just because I feel like, you know, there's so many. I feel like social media takes up too much of my time to begin with. Uh, and, and, and I've been thinking about kind of kind of moving off it for a while. But it just I don't know. I just I just I just I just decided that uh, just just to take the plunge and, you know, I think I think some people some people that I knew were getting off it as well, and so I thought, okay, you know what? Maybe maybe I'll just I'll just I'll just jump before before the ship sinks. Um, and this was I think this was right this was right when I think this was right when um, a bunch of people got laid off slash were fired. Um, so I didn't I didn't even know if Twitter was gonna make it past the weekend. Although obviously you know it's 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 still going up going on everything like that. I'm not gonna uh, you know raise any kind of red flags there. But yeah, I I, I decided you know what I'm just gonna back up all my data. You know, request request. You know, the um, request did the you know the download link for my for my profile and stuff, and then I just decided just just to cut the cord. So, was this a move of not having the bandwidth, or a move of principle on your part? A little of both. A little of both. I'm 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 not gonna lie. I I didn't like, I didn't like the um the surge in hate language that um that um, um you know accompanied 
um, the takeover. Like, we're, I guess we're in the immediate aftermath of takeover. Uh, I didn't, I didn't, I didn't like seeing that. I didn't like um, just sort of the cavalier attitude towards, um, you know, a lot of things that I take seriously, um, like you know, like like COVID, COVID misinformation, and and um, you know things like that. And so I just decided, you know what, I think. And plus, yeah, I mean, I I do kind of think that it's never really a medium that I've that I've that I've had a lot of tolerance for to begin with. Like I I probably I probably use Twitter, um, you know, the least out of you know um, compared to like other things. So I thought, you know what, it was probably as good of a time as any to just to just to just let it go. Yeah. Yeah, I uh, I'd almost put into the. Uh, articles for this week what happened last i guess late last night when several prominent uh, journalists were banned from twitter for daring to criticize or say something not appropriate about uh mr musk and which you know i mean it's his company he can do whatever he wants but can can being able to do something and should do something is completely different and i just uh you know it is a bit of a principle that here we have somebody that's you know you dare to criticize them and they ban you and i mean you know i i'm i'm worried if i say anything that you know i i have a tesla and i'm i'm worried that he'll cut off my heated seats or something <laughs> i mean yeah. banning me from twitter doesn't do much good but cutting off my heated seats might really be an impact <laughs> I another another principle today <laughs> that it was about people disclosing his location information and it was an invasion of privacy issue well, so so well, there's a the spin yeah there's a lot going on there so there there is um he has a private plane and as per all private planes they can be tracked by the faa because that's publicly available information there was a bot who tracks people's private planes it just like tracks all rich people's private planes doing that uh he objected to that bot doing that and then he banned the person he banned that bot and banned the person who ran that account however what then happened is he started banning newspaper outlets who were just pointing out hey he banned the person who had put up this bot uh who had not done anything about his location but just said this seems like he's a crazy person for banning people for posting public information uh and then he banned all those people and then i signed up for mastodon so uh i mean i'm still on twitter because i enjoy watching him meltdown in real time but i did get a mastodon account to uh you know to cover my bets yeah stephanie did you cancel yours too i couldn't um, find I you on twitter i was almost never on twitter i literally only joined it in september just to watch oh. the world start to burn so oh. i <laughs> <laughs> i'm functionally not on it anyway i avoided it forever so all right yeah uh so what's mastodon been like joe uh, I'm at, I'm at, I'm Joe Patrice at, I think it's at social, but you can search just Joe Patrice and I'll come up, uh, yeah. wherever you all are. What are your impressions of it though? It's, I mean, it's obviously slow because not a ton of people are on it yet. Uh, it is slightly longer posts. It's clunky. Like I, I'm one of those people who Twitter didn't really make much sense to me until I got TweetDeck, uh, which I think is the killer app that makes Twitter make sense. Mm -hmm. Uh, yeah. Until there's something like that for Mastodon, it's never going to be perfect for me. But yeah. you know, I haven't done that yet. I'm on Post. Got on just got on Post last night, and it's kind of a kind of a lonely place there right now. But, yeah. All right.
Um, all right. Well, moving on to other topics. Uh, yeah, I was gonna. Uh, I was gonna just rub your noses in the fact that I got to go to a legal tech conference that none of you guys got to go to, uh, and uh, I'm actually not entirely sure why I was the only one invited. But I, I know in part the idea. It was this this uh, the legal tech, the TLTF summit for the legal tech fund. It was the first time they had done a conference. It was a capped attendance of 250 people. And uh, I was, for some reason, the only media person there. The the the, the reason I was told was That's really for that the it fifth was time. that it yeah I, for the fifth time. I case you know did I mention that that I was the only media person invited? Um, but they they had said it was off the record, and they wanted it to be kind of an open and frank discussion. And uh, a lot of people, you know, a lot of like uh, VCs there and, and that type of stuff. But the funny thing is, it wasn't really off the record. I mean, the people were tweeting. Not a lot of people were tweeting, actually, but people were tweeting, and there was no limit on people tweeting there. And uh, uh, they actually were posting. A lot of others were actually posting on Facebook. I mean, on uh, on LinkedIn, which is a almost kind of odd to me that they were trying to like replicate Twitter on, on LinkedIn in a sense, uh, which I don't think went over uh, all that well, but, but um, yeah, next year, I suspect they're going to open it up uh, and probably to a few more media people as well. And I, I would encourage people to think about it. It was, it was just, what was interesting about it was that it wasn't just the usual suspects. It made you, made me realize how much, uh how many of the legal conference tech conferences i go to you just keep seeing kind of the same people over and over again i think we all know that uh obviously there are variations i mean aba tech show attracts a, a different crowd than legal week new york or ilta uh but um this was a a, a interesting mix of a, a bunch of investors a, a lot of you know a, a good number of investors who were there and really early stage startups more established startups um, I think I see Kristen Sundays in the audience and she was, she was there. Um, and then, uh, you know, sort of more industry veterans. I mean, CEOs of companies, uh, other people have just been around for a long time. Uh, and, uh, there was just this real unique kind of energy around it. I mean, it reminded me of kind of the early Clio cons or some of, some of the, uh, other people were analogizing it to like the first clock conference or one of the first clock conferences. Um, so whether they can replicate all of that again next year, I don't know whether, you know, whether the energy will wane a little bit, I, I no doubt they're going to increase the size of it next year. Uh, hopefully not too much. I think it was a really nice size for a conference, but, um, but yeah, it was a, a good experience. And I think, I, I think, uh, some good, just a lot of good conversations, a lot of energy, a lot of hallway, constant hallway conversations or whatever, uh, people just constantly talking and, uh, and it was in Miami, so what's not to like about that? So, did I mention I was the only journalist invited? <laughs> you you uh, did. You did mention. Oh, oh yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. No, it did. Yeah, I would. I would have started. I would have started off with that, Bob. Actually, uh, I'm surprised. <laughs> and mentioned it five times after that. <laughs> so, okay. so, so, Bob, were you the only one, only legal journalist at this conference? <laughs> Did money exchange hands? That's what I want no to say. Money. <laughs> no, no, no. I wish money had changed hands. No, I didn't mean hands. for you. I mean, did anybody get money? Any startups get money? Were people going into, you know, private rooms and cutting deals? So that's an interesting question, actually. I mean, not 
publicly or not visibly, but I know that there were lots of side meetings going on. And I know a, a lot of the startups that were there that I talked to were talking about the, there, were, there was a pitch competition. The, the, the said they, it was like a half day, Wednesday, full day, Thursday, half day, Friday or something, whatever days it was. Um, and, uh, so there was a sort of an ongoing, uh, startups had competed in a preliminary competition to get in and be able to pitch at this thing. And they kind of had a running um, series of pitches going on all through the conference, which one thing I didn't entirely like because I was, uh, um, you had to choose between going to the really substantive panels and going to some of these pitches. Um, you couldn't do both at once, obviously, but I don't think the winner actually got anything other than the honor of sort of winning in front of all these VCs that who were there. Uh, but I did, I know I talked to some investors and uh, also some uh, founders who were there who were certainly having side conversations. So whether that turned into anything, I don't know, but. Uh, were there any non-contract drafting startups? Yeah, no, there were, uh, you, you can actually go to I think they still have it posted. If you go to tltfsummit.com, I think it is. I think there's a list of all the uh, startups. Um, there were there were a number of uh, uh, consumer facing startups. Um, there were some uh, sort of justice tech type startups. Uh, it, 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 the overall feel of the conference was sort of big firm ish uh and and corporate but um the startups were really quite a quite a cross-section of, of different types of, of companies several that i a good number of which i had never heard of and several from outside the us uh, a couple of people there from south america with some doing some interesting stuff uh there was a guy there from egypt uh who uh had, I mean, I don't know that I've ever talked to a, a legal tech startup from Egypt ever before. Uh, and uh, so that was interesting to see. Uh, and um, so it was uh, quite a mix. Um, and yes, you were the only legal term tech there, right? I mean, I was, I, I was, how did you know that? <laughs> Like none of us have anything to add right now. It's like silence. Like, <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> Great conference. <laughs> I know. That's the only, you know, it's like it would have been a little more fun to have some of you guys there to hang out with. But yeah, Ricky's right. boss was there. <laughs> that was the, a phone, uh, Bob. That's uh, her and our head of product, right? The uh, Lop, the Affinipe Lope crew were, mm -hmm. were, were there. Drew spoke as one of the speakers, so that's good. Um, all right. Well, moving on to uh, some a topic uh, uh, that uh, few journalists and also the few journalists have covered. Uh, I was thinking maybe Chat GPT because uh, nobody's really been talking about that much. But uh, Stephanie, you had a really good article on it this week, and Gene, you picked up a really good, interesting article on it this week. A couple of different variations on oh, it. Who no. <laughs> yeah. Who knew? Right. Uh, but, uh, yeah, Stephanie, I really thought, I thought your, your piece was really good, but you want to, you want to try and talk, summarize it a little bit talk about what you wrote about this week? Yeah. I mean, I've been obsessed with chat GPT and gone down the rabbit hole. I know Nikki has too. I actually talked to her for my article cause I could, I knew over LinkedIn that we were both obsessed about it, but yeah, it's just, I mean, 
it's a chatbot essentially, but it's it's different. It's like we've moved on from GPT three technology to GPT three point five, they're calling it, and it you can just feel the difference. Like we were saying, it's it's hard to put your finger on, but it feels sentient in a way that other ones haven't. It understands tone. You can write in almost any prompt, and it can generate text in you know as a legal contract, as a Bible verse, as a song. It understands nuance and background in ways other technology hasn't. So, I mean, my big question was, can and should it be used in legal? And if so, in what capacity? And where it kind of has shaken out now is that it has great potential, um, especially for, you know, drafting things like letters. I even put in there, write an NDA for Stephanie Wilkins, which, you know, wasn't use a final usable form, but it was a really good start. But then, of course, you know, it comes, I mean, a lot of questions come. I mean, you still have to have the humans in it. Kind of the thing that came up on our panel at Relativity Fest, too, of, you know, the whole idea of unauthorized practice of law, like our can tech tools practice law. Um, it's, yeah, just raise. I feel like I'm all over the board because it was a long article. I just went in so many different places, but some some companies are using it like do not pay is already using it in a couple capacities. Um, and I spoke to a IP lawyer who represents a lot of the generative AI companies. And like, we just nerded out for half an hour. We could have gone so much longer on it. And he's like, people think this is cool. You have no idea what's coming. Yeah, I thought that was kind of a, an interesting point out of his article was that, uh, whoops, I just, uh, was the, that question of, um, you know, this is just the beginning. We've got, a, uh, who knows where this is gonna lead, but. Mm -hmm. Well, and the idea that, for now, it's not, I mean, it's too general, but they have, people are expecting it will be eventually licensed specific products for a firm. So, you know, Skadden, for example, could train it on all internal Skadden documents and get sort of the industrial knowledge that way. But also, I mean, legal briefs kind of look the same, but they don't. You can kind of tell a Skadden brief versus another firm's brief in a way. And that would be the same thing where like Nikki and I were talking about it replacing bloggers and things. And like right now it could generate a, a post and you know, you would probably be able to tell that Nikki didn't write it or I didn't write it. But if you trained it on everything I've ever written, it'll eventually, you know, be able to mimic my own voice a lot more. It was all about training the models, but the potential is amazing. And that was sort of what that lawyer was saying is that everyone's amazed now, but this is like just the tip of the iceberg. Well, what really interested me was when I was playing around with it, I went into the same query. You could, you know, reload the query and see what happened. And it didn't spit out the exact same thing every time. It was similar, but it really provided some additional nuance each time. So I thought that was also really interesting that it um, doesn't just iterate, the, you know, doesn't do the exact same thing over it. It reassesses and sort of comes up with a new response. And so, uh, and sometimes if you combine the multiple responses together, you've got something that's even better than the first one that you started with. It gives you a really good foundation for whatever fairly simple thing you were trying to do, right? I don't think you can do too many super complex, uh, create too many super complex documents with that as a starting point, but for the more simpler ones, I think you really can. Especially if you're a solo who's just starting out, who doesn't have the templates and would have to reach out to someone else to get them. You know, it's a good starting point in that type of situation, I think. Um, yeah, and I mean, it does the way it understands the sentient feeling. Like someone sent me an example of it tried to 
write um, write a comedy sketch. They had Jerry Seinfeld actually read it out loud. Write a comedy skit about going on a date with Elon Musk off a dating app. And like, it was, I mean, it wasn't great comedy, but it understood like what a dating app was, who he was. Cause he's like, oh, you show up to the date. And he's like, oh, we're going to Mars. And you say, oh, I'm not dressed for Mars. And it was like, it understood like those like weird little like social clues too. That doesn't seem like, I don't know what it's been trained on to know all of that and combine it all in one little routine. It's just, it's just really impressive. Yeah. You mentioned the, uh, the Harvey, which got it, had a, announced recently that it had raised $5 million from OpenAI. And, uh, I did, uh, I, I got a chance to play around with a little bit, which I'm, I'm not supposed to talk about yet. I think that I, I think I'm the only journalist to got a chance to play around with the Harvey, but, uh, this is like a theme evolving. Um, uh, but, um, I used to really like you, Bob. <laughs> <laughs> I still like you. Um, no, but uh, I, so they haven't quite come out of stealth yet. They have announced their funding. They haven't quite come out of stealth yet. Uh, and actually, Andrew Arruda, who's on the call, uh, is, I think uh, helped helped me uh, get an introduction to them. But uh, I, I did get a chance to play around with a sort of a very early version of what they're doing, which is going to be a, it's going to be a platform for law. And um, it. I, I was really amazed. I mean, I, I, and as I say, it's an early version. They're funded by OpenAI, so uh, they're they're uh, using that uh, technology and have have the support of that company directly. But um, you know, sort of like yours, Stephanie. I mean, I just had a lot of fun just playing. It's just like it's just fun to play with and uh, and do different things with and and uh, uh, and. Um, it's the, the the potential i think for i you know I, I i think the founders of that company would say they don't see this as being you know replacing lawyers uh but as being um just first year associates just first year well, maybe replacing first year associates but i mean well, maybe but, we can but, actually let first year associates do more interesting stuff <laughs> yeah yeah and, 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 but, but giving, giving you the heads, giving you that head start, you know, get, uh, on, and across a variety of, of use cases. That's what's interesting. It's not just for, not just for drafting or not just for legal research or not just for this or that or whatever. Mm -hmm. uh, the applications really kind of span a bunch of, a bunch of areas. So, yeah. And I saw that someone just put the link in the chat. Um, like I said, with like do not pay, they're definitely using it to help people negotiate down traffic tickets. They've, they've done a live, sample of it negotiating a comcast bill so yeah well, they're actively Jean's story. using it yeah that was the story so, you had gene highlighted this week gene you want to talk about that a little bit or you're you're muted not, not much to add except i thought it was interesting that that do not pay was trying to expand into generic consumer you know empowerment and you know i i although the one the one glitch i see is that it talked about how corporations have already all have all these bots out there talking to consumers, but it's so easy to, to hit a dead end in talking to a bot. So I don't know how, uh, how these chatbots are going to overcome the, the structure of like the, the other party has to be willing to participate because I just hit too many walls talking to bots, you know, like customer service bots where it doesn't answer the question that I want to ask and I can't get past it. So, you know, I, I hope 
<laughs> is I guess the big question is: Is it intelligent enough to figure out how to get a human being on the phone? Uh, yeah, yeah, that would be worth a lot of money. <laughs> yes, right. Um, uh, but it is. I mean, it's kind of fitting that do not pay is lending. I mean, they branded themselves, you know, the world's first robot lawyer, right? So, I mean, this is completely up their alley. So, I mean, it's fun to see what they're doing with it for sure. But it would also be really exciting to see if this could be applied to things like rent disputes, things that poor people never have access to right. uh, getting resolved. I mean, that would be a really, I think, the mo in some ways, the most exciting application. Yeah, yeah I thought the, there was an interesting comment from Kate in the chat about using it in legal marketing, um, which is not something I really thought much about. But, uh, I, you know, it is interesting to see how people are talking about it as a, you know, draft your blog post for you, draft news stories for you. Uh, you know, pretty soon, uh, none of us journalists will be invited to these events. They'll just be uh, <laughs> inviting chat GPT and it'll just sit there and uh, turn out a report of what's happening. There's, that's so distasteful to me though, because the internet is already just a cesspool of SEO laden crap. Yes. So you yeah, know I was just gonna say, it's-, it's Are you talking about my blog again? <laughs> but like you try to find a recipe and you end up on some stupid site about someone telling time about their grandma and for like 10 minutes you're trying to get to the actual recipe no you can't find a recipe without a grandma story you can't <laughs> wait now, now i will say that used to be true but i feel like almost all the the recipe websites now have a button close to the top that is jump to recipe that is their new thing so i would i would consider that it's anything that you try to research, you have to actually put in like Reddit or Quora or like the, a site after it in order to actually get good results these days, because otherwise you just end up on these pages that are, what is, you know, you have a complex question. Yeah, I don't know, like, how do I tie my shoes? What is a shoelace? What do you do? Why would you want to tie your shoes? Here's what a shoelace looks like. And by the time you get to how to tie your shoelace, yeah, you know, were first invented in the, yeah. Even the market for shoes, here's several better, better, options. Yeah, better yet, here are some shoes that don't have shoelaces <laughs> you might be interested in. It's like Amazon. Yeah. Greg Lambert is using it for his podcast. I thought his voice was sounding a little more robotic lately, but I don't know if that was just... <laughs> Well, I think that's next. That's what I've been told is next. So we have the art, we have the AI generated art. Now we have the chat GPT. We're gonna see the AI generated music next where you can you know, train, train it on like Bob Dylan's entire catalog and have it create a song in a very close to the style of Bob Dylan. Like that's supposedly what's coming next. So that's gonna probably raise a lot of the IP issues that the art did that we aren't seeing as much with the chat so far. All right. Well, yeah. another uh, another interesting uh, development this week um, was this law.com, my case survey of the legal industry that came out, uh, which which one of our esteemed panelists happened to write and know a thing or two about. Um, so, Nikki, why don't you tell us about that? I thought it had some really interesting findings in it. Sure. And just and just not that I don't want to give law.com the credit, but it was law pay in my case. <laughs> What did I, I was like, I we say, did what? I don't lot remember lot. doing this. <laughs> um, and, he wrote uh, about it, but no. <laughs> I didn't write the survey. I just used an AI chatbot. So 
my secrets out. No, <laughs> that's not true. Um, well, it's really interesting. One of those I'm, law companies. I don't know. Um, every year, well, this is my second year, but I try to sort of um, focus on legal tech concepts that are trending, whether it's industry-wide or just at a technology level. And so this year, um, one of the things I was really interested in, because we're all talking about legal tech consolidation and um, funding, was what do you know legal professionals, <laughs> do legal professionals even know this is happening? And for the ones that do, what do they think about it? So I included a section in there on that, which um, uh, not surprisingly, about 30% actually even have a clue any of this stuff is going on. And um, the ones that do, uh, I think it was like 39% pretty much across the board thought it would be favorable for lawyers, for clients, and um, for firms. I think that was the third question. Um, <clears throat> or for the industry, lawyers, the industry, and clients. Um, so, and there well, there's a significant percentage that really didn't know. They just didn't have a good sense of what whether it wouldn't would not be favorable. But I thought that that was um, interesting because it's just something we all get so excited about. But you know, it's not even filtering down, which makes sense. Um, and then um, some of the focus was on just the main software that lawyers really do use in their practices. Um, a portion of it was devoted to um, online payments, um, and. Uh, I pulled in some data from our benchmark reports that I wrote this year as well, where we pulled data from my case about different functionalities to kind of support, um, you know, when lawyers are like, yeah, online payment saves me a lot of time. We actually have data that shows that or that they get paid a lot quicker or that they could get paid a lot more in a shorter amount of time. So I sort of used a section that focused on that. Um, and then uh, I really wanted to focus on integrations and um you know, what do lawyers really want built into their primary operating software, whether it's document management, legal billing, or practice management software, you know, their home base that they're in all the time in their firm. You know, what do they actually want built in and what do they want integrated into it? Um, and also what services do they really want to integrate with their primary operating software? Um, and, you know, those results were um, interesting. Let me actually put a copy of the report in case anyone wants to download it. Um, and, uh, like some of the results that really stood out to me um, were that, you know, they they really did, lawyers really indicated that the more customization and flexibility that they had, um, oftentimes that was preferable just because they have different practices, different practice areas, um, different makeups of different lawyers that handle different types of um, practice areas. And so it re really helped for them to be able to um, uh, have that flexibility. Um, and then some, just some statistics in general that really stood out, uh, 84%. So on the payment increase and the rise, um, in the use of online payment processing, 84% accept credit cards. Um, and more than 61% said that they captured more money because of online payment processing software. Um, and the collection rates were 10% higher for people that accepted credit cards compared to those who didn't. Um, and that customers who use credit cards for consultation fees collected 12 million more than those who um, only accepted cash or check um, in a one-year period. Um, and let me see, there was another. <clears throat> oh, another thing that I focused on that was also interesting, and I'll close with this, is I just wanted to close the loop on the cloud-based remote working trends from the pandemic and, you know, what do things look like on as we're sort of heading out of the pandemic. And 73% um, of the firms said that their 
uh, they were now using cloud software before the pandemic, and that increased to 81% at the time of the survey, um, meaning that they had um, were using the cl uh, cloud at the time of the survey, 81%. 47% added new remote working technologies within the past year, um, and 46% had added them within the year prior to that due to the pandemic. So you just have every year more and more firms adopting remote working tech within the past year because of the pandemic and the learnings from um, the pandemic and the changes in perspectives about remote working. And I, I think what <clears throat> the, only, and the last thing that really interested me was, I think that lawyers still don't understand that they're using cloud computing when they're using it. Because at one point when they were asked the type of cloud tools they'd adopted and they got to choose all that applied, only like 46% said they used online payment processing in the cloud. But then when you ask them how, um, what percentage has online payment processing in place, it was like 84%. So, so I think that lawyers don't always understand when a particular tool is in the cloud. And this kind of harkens back to when I was talking about cloud computing long before it was a thing. Um, and I would ask lawyers in a room, like how many of you use Dropbox? And like 15 would raise their hands. And then I would say, and how many of you use cloud computing? And like three would raise their hands. Like they never know they're using cloud computing. And I think that's still the case, but I do think that the pandemic not only accelerated technology uses, usage, it accelerated the understanding of technology and more lawyers get the cloud and understand the value of tech more than they ever did before. So that's my summary in a nutshell. So I, I thought there were some really interesting things in there. One, one of the ones, one that Joe picked up on a little bit, I think, um, in, in your write-up on it. So do you want to mention that or do you? Yeah, I, uh, a thing that I noticed and I thought, oh, you know, everyone's going to cover all of these other issues. I'll be unique and mention this. And then I noticed in almost everybody else's write-up, you all noticed the same thing. So I guess it wasn't all that unique. But uh, one bit that I started noticing is how many of these firms, obviously this is skewing a little bit more towards smaller firms, uh, how many of them are using, you know, the standard retail software for various tasks? Uh, which, you know, we we kind of are a unique crowd. We get to hang out with people who are building very custom to lawyer based solutions all the time that take into account the unique ins and out ins and outs of being a lawyer and the needs that we all have. And people just, at least in that segment of the legal industry, seem to not be doing that. Uh, obviously. You know, and you could see uh, where the break was happening. You know, a lot of folks were using billing, uh, was using real uh, lawyer-specific software. Uh, when it's coming to where do they putting their cloud documents, something one would think is important, they're just uh, dumping them all into Google and Dropbox. And from a security perspective, I'm sure you know they're they're secure there. But from all of the when you hang out with these various solutions that are legal based. You know, there's a bunch of bells and whistles that are very useful to a lawyer for how it manages your documents and how you can draw data from them to populate other tasks you're doing. Uh, and so it was really interesting to me how it seems like with the exception of the stuff where people really know they need something legal, like billing, uh, docketing, things like that, uh, they're just, they're kind of oblivious to the fact that there are legal solutions kind of built for this industry out there, uh, which I thought was unfortunate uh, development and a sign that we have more to do. 
Yeah, and I thought I thought the other interesting one was Nikki. You already mentioned this, but this, this whole idea that you know when you ask lawyers about whether they're kind of tracking the, this consolidation in the in the industry and some of these uh, just broader industry trends, that uh, you know basically they're just not paying attention at all to that, which um, tells me that uh, you know they're they're probably uh, not not following a lot of the stories that we we consider to be significant stories to be following. Um, I mean, there's been, you know, you know I, I think it's like, such a, but sorry, go ahead. No, but, but that's because that, that, that kind of, because, uh, cause Nikki and I will, cause Nikki's writing a uh, year in review column for us, uh, that she'll be, uh, that, that we'll be publishing, uh, you know, obviously before the end of the year. Um, and so, and, and she's done this for us, I think three or four times now, I think or maybe, maybe three times or whatever. And, and, and so typically I'll, I'll, you know, like we'll, we'll talk about like some things that we think are, are, are worth, you know, putting on the list of like the top stories and whatnot. And I feel like every year it's always, hey, it was another banner year for M&A in, in the legal tech realm. And, it, and it's just like, you know, after a while, it just kind of, I, I think all the deals kind of kind of meld together after a while. And, you know, if every year is like a big year that it's kind of like, all right, well, was the, was were those years really big or was it just, you know, business as usual kind of thing. So I was, I was, I was, I was thinking about that just, 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 just now, like just when I was reading, I was just like, oh, it was another, another big year for M&A. It's like, okay, but was, was it really? Compared to other years, or was it just because this is just what we what we track and what we look at and what you know uh, what what we talk about. So yeah, I mean, I can definitely see like for for a lot of people, like especially if they don't follow it, or as long as long as their program just run correctly and and you know it doesn't affect them so much, they probably don't even pay attention. Yeah, so I but I guess the one one question in my mind is whether they should be paying attention. I mean, we talk a lot about the duty of tech competence, and or even just you know when you look at some of the ethics opinions on using cloud software or whatever, uh, the point that often gets made in these ethics opinions is that lawyers have a duty to, you know, kind of vet the providers that they're using and and have some awareness of of uh, how stable are the companies they're using and. Uh, uh, you know, how strong is their business? I mean, is there, is their data likely to disappear tomorrow when the company declares bankruptcy and goes out of business? So knowing that you're, you know, knowing who owns your practice management company uh, or that your practice management company just got sold to some other investment group or something seems to be something they should be tracking or at least thinking, at least paying attention to, not tracking it closely. But I mean, this survey made it sound like a lot of them are just unaware of it, not even bored with it, just just unaware of it. So. Obviously, you all agree. Hey, Bob, were you the only legal tech journalist that <laughs> I just can't get over there. <laughs> Steve, I'm going to have to just kick you off this podcast. Yeah. It's like, I'm going to be the new <laughs> You're gonna be like, I'm gonna boot me, ban me from the from the round table. People who say things I don't like, I'm just kicking them off the podcast. Go, the go start your Elon own. Musk of legal tech. <laughs> I heard somebody on the radio that referred to him this morning as QAlon. I like that. I hadn't heard that before. Um, did I just commit libel or something? Um, probably not. You're gonna get kicked off Twitter. All of a sudden, the podcast shuts off. We lose not, our. Not, not, not if it's true. <laughs> I think it was doxing is what you did. <laughs> All right. Well, well, speaking of despicable characters, uh, Victor, <laughs> you've, you've got what? a story involving one of our, <laughs> not Steve. No, no, no. <laughs> wow. Th thank you for that intro. I don't know if that was. Uh... Not you. No, no, no. 
<laughs> that was not a good transition. Was it? Uh, well, well, no, I mean, okay, well, despicable billionaires. How about if I put yes, it that way? Allegedly, he is a he is a he is a despicable character, and um, I guess th th this should be a lesson to all of, to, to all of us, you know, and, and and everyone you know who's possibly out there thinking about investing in 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 crypto. It's like you probably shouldn't you probably shouldn't invest in 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 a, in a cryptocurrency run by a guy who looks like. You know, he could have been like Seth Rogen's stunt double, or or you know Jonah Hill's stunt double in 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 a, in, a, in one of the one of those like Twenty One Jump Street type movies. So, um, yeah, I mean, it seems like this 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 is really just kind of you know happened very quickly. I mean, um, you know, I, I thought that there, there are a couple of things that, uh, that 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 dealt with FTX and the fallout from uh, the failure uh, that you know that um, you know came out this this week. Uh, one of one of uh, so the, the one that I that I cited too was just talking about you know. The founder facing civil and criminal charges for the alleged 1.8 billion dollar fraud, um, and then there was another there was another story that, that that came out as well where I think um, he's accusing his lawyers at Sullivan and Cromwell of uh, pressuring him to file for bankruptcy. So there's going to be a lot of work for lawyers, you know, these next these next couple of years. Uh, next to this guy, hopefully they don't take payment in FTX in an FTX coin or you know uh, whatever the currency was. Um, but it's just I don't know. It's just it's it's it kind of. You know, and 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 funnily enough, the um, um, I don't, I, I mean, I don't, I, I think, I think the personal lives might be different for you guys, but when I when I put the when I put the um, when I load the story on off the ABA Journal story onto my website, well, onto my web browser, uh, because I, I browse for coins a lot, just so I'm a coin collector. I actually have a coin a coin commercial for it right underneath um uh, the story. So I don't know if that's subtle or not. That we should be we should be investing in hard currency instead of. Crypto, but but it just, it just kind of begs the question. It's sort of like, you know, I mean, I mean, with with crypto, it's just there's so much there's so much fraud out there. There's so much um, so many bad actors out there, and so many people who you know don't have don't have what you know they claim to, or and but yet people are investing and people are you know um, you know putting money into it, and it just it just you know I guess it's more of a buyer beware kind of thing. If you're gonna if you're gonna invest in in this stuff, you better make sure you're on solid ground. You you better be ready to ride the uh, ride the ups and downs. And you know, hopefully you don't get you don't get taken for a ride like 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 a lot of these investors did, and you know I mean, I mean for for the for the skeptic in me like this is you know this is this is why I never invested in it in, in any kind of crypto just because you know um, to me to me it just it just it just kind of it just kind of one step up from like from like a Ponzi scheme but I know other people you know adherents of it would 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 disagree with me and correct me on 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 my on my uh, thoughts about it but. But it's just yeah, the more things like that happen, it just kind of it, it it always kind of puts 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 a little bit of fear in me. It's sort of like okay, you know, what if what if what if a financial institution that I'm invested in was invested with with them or invested in someone that was invested with them, and then the whole like kind of thing just kind of snowballs down. So it just it, 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 it'll be interesting to see where it turns out, like to see how how this happens. I mean, obviously, I think you know this guy's gonna this guy this guy will probably be in prison, but you never know. And it'll be interesting to see to see how to see how it goes and if we'll get any kind of meaningful reform out of this. Well, yeah, that's the thing that scares me that it's going to end up being like the mortgage crisis of the of the 2020s that actually lots of big institutions are tied to this mess. I hope not. Um, I saw a New York Times interview of the guy and he wants everybody to know that he's really, really sorry. <laughs> I mean, really sorry. So sorry that he had a like a signal channel called wire fraud <laughs> like, <what? laughs> really really sorry yeah. 
But isn't it, isn't this one of those stories where it's kind of, kind of not accurate, fully accurate to sort of position it as just a story about why we shouldn't have invested in crypto or something? Because, I mean, this guy was, was committing fraud. I mean, this guy was moving money, moving investors' money from their crypto accounts into uh, what is hedge fund um, without them knowing it. I mean, this, this was not a, you know, this was just outright fraud. I mean, it, it, and, and, and I've heard some it. parallels to Elizabeth Holmes too. That yeah. that it was the bold face, the level of bold face lying was just extraordinary. Yeah, yeah. I mean, look, he he's definitely did stuff above and beyond uh, just be a crypto person. But uh, if you're tracking, which I've been kind of, you know, not necessarily for my job, but uh, out of personal interest, I find it funny. I've been tracking all of the interviews that Binance has been giving. Uh, over the last day or two. And it seems as though whatever we think of SBF going over the top, it seems like all of these organizations are equally compromised. Uh, they, Binance seems to be in all these interviews saying that they have, they aren't particularly, they aren't really able to prove to you that they have the money they that you invested with them or could cover their debts if they wanted to. Uh, all of that is a little scary. I actually responded to earlier uh, this week that they, they went out and, and froze withdrawals, saying like, oh, nobody can take money out right now. No problem, we're fine, but nobody can withdraw their money, uh, which is never good. And I responded to it with just the picture of the bank run from It's a Wonderful Life because, you know, it's the season. Uh, and it's just like, <laughs> all of these crypto people are like, well, you, you can't take your money out of here. Your, your money's in, in Tim's money laundering scheme and, and, <laughs> and Sally's Ponzi. Like, it, it's... It, it's all in real trouble, I think. But, but like can, anybody trace, <laughs> can anybody mm -hmm. trace how many real institutions have invested in it and how much vulnerability there is in, you know, like Goldman or City? I mean, yeah. I mean that, that's where we know, Yeah, we know they're in. Uh, we don't know how, well, I don't know as though we know how much. I, I'd like to think, uh, and maybe I'm crazy, I would like to think that those institutions are... Uh, are not particularly deep into it uh, and that they're way deeper in other kinds of more stable things, but we'll, But they did we'll buy see. those mortgages. Yeah, they I'll sure say, did, yeah, they I'll, sure did. I'll, I'll say, I, I mean, rely, relying on banks to be prudent about you know how they gamble their money hasn't, hasn't yeah. ever really worked out for us as a-, as a <laughs> It's fair. I just feel like crypto has always been as a concept, very anti-bank. It's always said like, the banks are out to get you. We're like outside of that. So I almost felt like they they, they set themselves up culturally to be uh, insulting of the banks, which I thought might work in our benefit. Uh, we'll see. I, it's, it's real, uh, it's been real fun. I mean, personally, all my money is in Donald Trump NFTs because that's the- <laughs> I was wondering when you were gonna bring that up because how could that not be a parody? I mean, people bought them. I mean, say what you will, but pe people bought them. They, they did. I, I almost bought one. I really thought about it yesterday because I was like, this is stupid. I don't want to give this guy any money. But uh, whereas the rest of the NFT market has fallen off a cliff because people have already gone through the stage of realizing it's stupid. Uh, his people probably never went through that. So I was like, we could do this all. I could run this whole scam back. And it appears, I was just reading, 
that the they've all sold out the $99 whatever's the cheapest one that's on the market right now is 250 so it's already more than doubled in value and there's a few up uh the rare ones are up for 24 grand right now $99 yesterday is 24 grand today so you know it it's something that we all learned has no value with the board ape situation but I don't think his viewers understand that. One, one of the speakers at this TLTF summit was Kathy Wood, the uh, sort of prominent investor with the uh, ARK, uh, ARK Fund. Uh, and she is super bullish on crypto, as she made very clear in her talk at this conference. And I was just looking at the news and she just, she just bought another $12 million in Coinbase stock yesterday. So she uh she thinks uh if you're in it for the long haul uh crypto is crypto is the is the way to go um, so um and uh actually it just occurred to me uh regarding the tltf summit uh, just to give a shout out to dan o'day who because i saw that he's uh he's in the audience today and his company ecfx was one of the four uh, startups there that, that pitched that made it to the that were selected as the the kind of the final four to to uh, pitch on the main stage to the investment group. So, congratulations to Dan on that. Um, and uh, just had to see, close had, with that, right, Bob? You had to close with a. I'm not closing because we haven't done Steve's story yet. Oh, okay, Even, good. You know, oh, before <laughs> Joe's, and I want to hear the Pacer story. Oh, I thought I Joe's. Oh, that's right. I forgot about Joe's. I was thinking yeah, of Joe's the, as the, uh, the uh, comment on Nikki's story. Well, right. All right, but, all right. We'll go from Alaska to Actually, if we're talking about Dan, we should do Pacer because Dan's a Pacer guy. But we'll go. We'll do Steve's and go to Joe's. No, I was going to say when I, when I read Joe's story on the Pacer, I, I envisioned him, you know, like the old sixty Minutes reporters with the microphones. You care to comment on? <laughs> no, but go ahead, Joe. I thought it was a pretty pretty cool story. So probably more interesting than mine. <laughs> I mean, it, it, it's it's not a it's not a particularly huge deal. It's something we've talked about on this show before. I mean, several years ago, the administrative office of the U.S. courts tried to argue when when Congress said, "Hey, maybe Pacer, you know, shouldn't be charging people an arm and a leg to get what should be public documents." The administrative office was like, "Oh, it would cost us two billion dollars to let that be free." Uh, which seemed ridiculous because it was ridiculous and then time went on and they started saying it was not two billion but it was a hundred million dollars a year uh and then time went on and time went on and now we we finally got over the hump where people stopped listening to them in congress and we got it in a bill and it got scored by the cbo and the cbo comes back and says actually it's going to end up saving the government 14 million dollars a year uh, because I, because the way it's structured, it's going to charge big commercial downloaders. You know, your Westlaw, Lexus kind of folks basically are going to get charged fees for that, whereas everyone else isn't. It works out that, that when you play it all out, they're going to end up shouldering enough more of the burden of downloads every year that it's going to end up saving the government money. So, of course, after $2 billion has floated around, Making Pacer open to people is going to save us money, which is exactly why a couple weeks ago I told you they're going to start trying to charge more for transcripts, and this is going to be how they get you. Uh, not that people, as we discussed then, not that court reporters don't deserve more money, but these new, we're going to charge people more for transcripts is just going to be the new slush fund. That's my prediction. 
So, They've been drummed out of Pacer. Here's going to be about transcripts now. So, Joe, I'm just curious. So, our, mm -hmm. our, I think one of the earlier proposals was that it would only be free for the public, but it would not be free for lawyers or law firms. Is your understanding that it would be that the documents would be free for lawyers and law firms now? It's about. Uh, it, it has to do with how much you're downloading, basically. So, yeah. I, Scadden is going to almost certainly cross over the threshold. Uh, if you're a local, a local firm who does a few federal cases a year, probably aren't. I would think. I don't think it makes a distinction based on you being a lawyer, your status, as much as it does on how much you're doing. It is my understanding. Yeah, I mean, yeah, but I don't know how they would be able to check that, like, because you could say, "Oh, I'm downloading it for my personal use." You know? Yeah, exactly. So, like, I, I think it's just like, "Oh, I got." You know, you cross a certain threshold, and then it's like, oh, well, now you've you've strained our system enough. Yeah, I don't, so they're not going to raise prices on the doc. They're not going to raise the, the 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 document price or the page price. They're just going to have a threshold where if you if you take so many documents, obviously, I'm concerned about those costs because they are not insignificant in a law firm. Yeah, <laughs> even now, even at the low price they have now, it adds up. It's quite a swing in between what it's going, what it would cost, and what it would say. <laughs> yeah, Wait, maybe Hard we to... need math classes for Congress. <laughs> well, this was the courts. Cong Congress always kind of knew this wasn't going to cost that much. It was it was the federal courts saying two billion dollars. Yeah, I mean, well, you know and, that's. And I mean, that's we became company. lawyers, but. We could be became lawyers because we couldn't do math. I guess the same is true for judges, right? <laughs> I was told there would be no math uh, for anyone old enough for that reference. Yeah, but is, isn't that the point of companies like uh, like ECFX and Facer Pro and others that are helping you on those costs and helping you uh, at least helping control those costs and manage those costs, not just by eliminating duplicative downloads. But also by uh, creating caches of of the already download documents, so you can go in and access them for free. Or the Free Law Project too uh, does that through its uh, recap project. So there are ways to get Pacer documents without paying for them. Yeah. Every time you like you keep saying two billion dollars, Joe, I keep thinking of like Doctor Evil. Like they're you know just sitting there just randomly coming up with these big numbers and like two billion dollars. Like how much exactly what I was thinking too. <laughs> <laughs> I just want I just want filings with freaking lasers on them. Uh, yeah, it's it. Yeah, two billion, unbelievable. All right. Well, now we can go to frigid Alaska, <laughs> just to uh, you know, you know, make me feel a little minutes. bit warmer here on this chilly day I, in New England. I, I'm I'm really sorry, Bob. I offended you. <laughs> At the very, now that I'm at the very end, I, I realize that I'm I am really unoffendable. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, no, real quick, I, I just sort of picked up on this. I thought it was a kind of an interesting development. The Alaska uh, court system has approved um, allowing those that work for the Alaska Legal Services Corporation or or who volunteer to, to work with it, who are not lawyers. Uh, to perform certain uh, legally related functions, limited sort of advocacy and filings and those kinds of things, provided that they uh, 
uh, undergo some uh, substantive training with the uh, with the Legal Services Corporation um, and some ethical uh, training, and provided that they get the requisite approval from the uh, from the governing bodies, um, that will limit, of course, what they do. And I'm not, you know, there's kind of a lot of ins and outs and all that. But the thing that sort of was interesting to me is that, you know, for all these state bar associations and state courts that have contemplated these big sort of steps, let's open up ownership or, you know, let's let, let's let people who aren't lawyers serve everybody and charge and all this stuff. And they argue and, you know, contemplate their navels for years and never do anything. And so here's Alaska sort of taking this kind of small step of letting people uh, who aren't lawyers actually do something only for those people who have limited financial means and who wouldn't otherwise get service. And, um, you know, it just struck me that, you know, so let's, let's actually accomplish something. It may not be the most biggest thing ever uh, to help access to justice, but it's something. And it's, you know, it, it's something that is hard for all the sort of biased interest groups to come in and oppose. I mean, it, you can't come in and say, oh, this is going to open up law firms to ownership by accounting firms. And, oh, this is going to let paralegals charge, you know, for legal services. I mean, no, I mean, it's very limited. You know, people that really need help can now get more help that they wouldn't otherwise get by allowing people who aren't lawyers to do things. And we all know that, I mean, there's a lot of things in litigation and administrative law that you don't have to have a law degree to do. You just have to understand how the system works. And uh, so I just thought it was a kind of a cool step and, and uh, in the right direction. And, you know, maybe it'll, it'll result in uh, other state courts kind of stepping back and saying, let's, let's see what we can actually accomplish and do as opposed to argue about for years and never do anything. So North to Alaska. Yeah, I thought you know it's interesting. It is it is a sort of a, a a light move in a sense. I mean, it's it's something that they they were able to do uh, fairly simply and and unlike like the uh, limited license legal technician program that was launched in Washington State a number of years ago and then crashed and burned. Part of the reason that crashed and burned is because they built such a heavy bureaucratic and administrative structure around it. And this looks nice and simple and direct and and something that can. That can uh, be sustained over over a period of time and actually do some good. So good for Alaska. Yep, that's that's the way I spot too. All right, uh, our time is up. And uh, are, is people around next? Like, do we want to meet next week? It's like the day before Christmas Eve or something. Yeah, I mean, it's um, it's yeah, it's day before Christmas Eve. Yes, Eve. Yeah, Christmas uh, Eve. Yeah. Whatever. I, I'm here. I don't know. I, I got nowhere to be. So I won't be around. Be around. Yeah. Well, maybe we could check it out by email and see who's around. We should do it. We should do like an end of year story, like our top stories of the year or something for a show. Maybe next week if people are around. If not, whenever we whenever we are next around. Cool. All right. Until okay. then, thanks to everybody for participating. See you all next time. Bye. Bye. Bye.